Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Candace Parker is along with us tonight. And moments ago, Kristen Ludlow. Parker, what a look inside. Kristen Ledlow is on our sideline with the terrific Candace Parker. I'm Kristen Ledlow. I'm Candace Parker. And this is Ledlow and Parker. In some ways, Candace, this week, basketball returned. We've gotten more of the last dance. You had your first ever virtual training camp with the Sparks, right? How was that? I mean, it was it was good. It was just a lot of like, what shows are you watching? What are we doing for next week? I mean, are you guys working out? Like, yep. So <laughs> that was it was kind of like team, what you and I are doing on a weekly basis. Basically, yeah, basically. But honestly, it, is, it gives us something to look forward to. That's the way I feel, except I am not being held accountable for the amount I'm working out in comparison to you. I see it, but like every day I'm telling you, I had two extremes last year. I ate and drank way too much. I ate too much with Shaq and I drank too much with Chuck. I blame it on our coworkers. Absolutely. It, It really is like one bad apple can spoil a barrel and like they just force you to drink and eat. And so I had to learn a lesson this year of working out. So the Peloton has been my friend. You have to like outwork the meals that we have with them. Yeah. I have to do extra, but I have like an alarm set where I'm like, you have to work out at this time. Cause otherwise you just like excuse your day away. This week we also learned that as early as May 8th, NBA practice facilities could be able to open in areas that it would abide by government guidelines. No more than four players at a time, only one staff. Uh, these workouts would be voluntary not hands-on, 12 feet of distancing. That measure would be in place. Each team is also having to name a senior executive as the facility hygiene officer. What do you think about some of this that we've heard from the NBA this week? Kristen, so we've all been there and we've seen how the world has worked. If you give somebody an inch, they're going to take a yard. And So my one problem with it is, first of all, how can you open one practice facility and give that team a competitive advantage? I mean, I'd have to side. I don't usually side with the NFL very much in the way they do things, Yeah, but I'd have to side with the NFL on this is the fact that like they say that until all 32 teams can open their facilities, not one, not one team can do that. And it is a huge advantage if you can have individual workouts Some players have gyms in their house. That's personal. But from a business standpoint, I don't see how you can do that. And then number two, how do you like, how do you control this? Like, how do you think that teams are going to really go by these guidelines? What you don't think the uh, facility hygiene officer named by each team is going to be sufficient? (laughs) I just don't see how. If it's not consistent, how can that be the guideline when the, when the guide posts move based on where you are and who you are and based on whether or not the team even wants to take advantage of this? Because I live only a couple of miles away from where the Atlanta Hawks practice and would be training. And Travis Schlenk said this week, like, under no circumstances are we reopening on May 1st. Like, we're just not going to. And that, of course, would be abiding by the the rules and regulations that Georgia has become extremely lax on in the last just several days. But he's making that judgment call for his franchise and saying, you know, this isn't it. So again, the consistency is going to be so lacking here because there's no way to make one call for every single franchise. And even those who could do it 
some may choose not to. There was a quote from an executive that was talking about how I think opening up our facility in the individual states and having guidelines is safer than all fl- all teams and all players flying to Georgia to try to get a workout in. Hmm. I just think it's really ironic that like one of the worst teams in the NBA is going to be able to practice. <laughs> like if they wanted to, they could practice. I mean, like I think it's funny. Nobody thought that they needed Atlanta Hawks, but they apparently they do. I do have a question though, because you have rehabbed from not just one major injury, but, but several different times you've had to go through a rehab process where the game was immediately taken from you unexpectedly, and you've had to work your way back into game shape. One of the things that I, as a reporter, always ask when I'm doing an injury update is where is he as far as your team's guidelines and how close is he return- to returning to five-on-five play? That's typically kind of the the standard, like, all right, now he's playing five on five, which means any day now he could return to the court. Even if these players are able to return to these facilities, if they're keeping a 12 foot social distance, physical distance between them, like how close are these players to being game ready and not just game ready, but playoff game ready if five on five is nowhere to be seen. Well, Kristen, it it really gives me great honor to say sources because Uh, I've waited my entire career to say this. So sources are saying sources now. Sources are saying no. I mean, you read the same article I read, but (laughs) I just wanted to say sources. (laughs) Um, But twenty-five day prep is what they want, or what the players are saying that they want. Eleven day individually and fourteen day training camp. I think that there's going to be some bad basketball. I mean, if you're off for six weeks. And the point in the season that they're coming back. I mean, look at the way players come back from injuries at the beginning of the season and you're not playing meaningful basketball. Now you have New Orleans, a couple games out of the playoffs. You got Memphis, a young team. I honestly give the competitive advantage to teams that can't shoot teams that just go out and grind it out. To me, that's a competitive advantage because when your legs get heavy, it's, it's different story coming back from injuries. That's really hard, but no rhythm, you're not able to get on the court, not able to get any offensive continuity. I mean, it's going to be difficult to come back. Like you said, they're not coming back at the start of a season. Where I mean, How often do we say in those first what, four to six weeks of the NBA season, well, he's not yet in midseason form. Well, So I would imagine that more of these guys than are admitting it have treated this time as essentially an offseason. There are some, of course, who haven't. There are some who will refuse to. But some, I am sure, have. So are we looking at those first four to six weeks of the season where we're simply waiting day after day for them to get in, quote, midseason form, but the expectation is now playoff-level basketball and now a champion is named? There's a lot to consider. We've got a jam-packed show today, Kristen. We got Gabrielle Union, Swin Cash, and we got up next, we got Snoop D-O-double-G. I think you've heard of him. Yeah, I have. I feel like anything that anybody is into is going to be covered in this one episode. Snoop D O double J, big Snoop D O dub. You know what I'm talking about? I think our next guest needs no introduction. Uh, I'm gonna attempt to do it. Obviously, all you have to say is Long Beach. I mean, you could you could drop a little hook, Kristen. You know, uh, rapper, singer, songwriter, producer, media personality. I mean, just everything. Snoop, thank you so much for joining us today on Ledlow and Parker. It's my pleasure. Thank y'all for having me. Well, first of all, I just want to I just want to check in on you and make sure you you're good. Uh, you know, I know everything has kind of changed during this quarantine and everybody's staying at home and um, you know, kind of doing things differently. So just want to check in on you and the family. How are you guys doing? Well, we're doing actually we're doing very well. Me and my family, my wife, my kids, my grandkids, everybody's in good health, good spirit. My mother, my brothers, everybody's doing well. Um, actually the quarantine was actually good for me because I built a facility that has everything 
in-house, you know, my studio, my recording, my visuals, my everything that I do is in-house. So this was like a blessing for me to be able to stay at home and not be ripping and running so much and, and to get equipped with slowing down because we all was moving a little bit too fast. And this is like a little bit of, you know, slow, slowing down that we needed in our lives. And what can we expect to see? I mean, you're talking uh, visual, audio. I, I would imagine the possibilities are endless with whatever you've built there. Yeah, I actually started shooting like a, um, a little uh, cooking show, brunch with the dog, where I'd be cooking, you understand me, a little brunch here and there so that way people can know what to cook when they got 20, 30 minutes to themselves and want to eat something real nice and quick, but it's good out of my cookbook, you know what I'm saying? Then I created um, a radio show that I'm doing with Apple Music. That's Uncle Snoop's Army Radio, where I do, you know, an hour worth of radio playing hip-hop from the 80s to 1999. So just doing things that are, like, you know, within the same realm of who I am, but reaching out to certain, you know, companies that need what I got right now, which is content. Well, adding to that, you're also launching a new wine this summer. Yes. Snoop Cali Red. And, I mean, hip-hop... I'd say the sports world, we're all kind of getting into the wine right now. So what has brought you to that? What's your favorite? Was this always your passion? No, I don't think it was always my passion. I, I never really was a heavy drinker. When I made gin and juice, I was just experimenting with it. Then I had to, you know, like fall in <laughs> love with it because it fell in love with me. And then as I got a little, you know, older in the game, I was introduced to wine. You know, when I met a couple of people that were upper echelon that showed me a better way of, you know, drinking and indulging. So the wine, it was never the white wine. It was always the red wine that I liked. I liked Merlot. And once I liked red wine, I was like, you know what? One day soon, I'd like to create my own because I feel like this is something that's prestige. And I feel like my name and my game has gotten to the level of being prestigious. I don't want to be in the lane of, you know, 40 ounces of liquor. I want to be in the lane of wine because I feel like I've aged like wine, like fine wine. Hey, yeah, I like that's, that. a, that's a great way to put that. When you speak of in the entertainment, you talk about, you know, teams and NBA teams you think of and their celebrity, uh, that celebrities you see sitting courtside, you are one of those. I mean, you think of the Lakers and you think of Snoop Dogg. And I would like to add the Sparks to that because, you know, season ticket holder before with Sparks. So, hey, you know, I've been there with y'all. When y'all win it all, I'm right there with y'all. I come to the games. I ain't no stranger to danger. I've been with the Sparks. You understand me from the get-go. <laughs> and we know that and we love it. Where did your passion come from in supporting the Lakers? And then how disappointed are you? Because, you know, just in the season that the Lakers were having this year, everybody kind of had already crowned them. And now we're kind of in that, not knowing phase of, of whether the season's going to continue or not. First of all, I grew up a Laker fan growing up in Long Beach and watching Magic Johnson, Kareem, and watching the old Showtime Lakers just do their thing. And I always wanted to be like Magic Johnson on the basketball court because I love the way he made his team better. I love the way he passed the ball. And never was about scoring. was always about making sure everybody else got to rock. So from that passion to, you know, growing into a young man, to watching Kobe and Shaq and, you know, watching my peers do it. It was like, you know, it's nothing like being a Laker fan. It's like, it's unthinkable. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's the best feeling in the world because the way the games are, the way you can just enjoy the games and the way the players give you that love back. It's not like it's a distant, it's like an up close and personal relationship. They love the fans like we love them and they respect the fans like the fans respect them. So that's what the mutual love is with LA. And as far as me having a passion for sports, when I was a kid, I played a lot of sports. I played football, basketball, ran track, did gymnastics, swimming, everything. Anything that was that was able to be done, I was probably doing it or trying to do it. So as an old man, you know what I'm saying, that passion still lies within me to where I still just love sports. I love being around it. I love, you know, watching it, talking about it, and just seeing great franchises and great, great teams win it all. And like the Lakers, we were on the verge of going to the playoffs and we ain't been in six years, but – I know that that's going to be all right because we, we got a groove now. We got it. And once you get a groove, they can't break that groove. That groove is there. You know that as a basketball player, the groove is set. It's all right. Is it possible then, Snoop, to recall a favorite Staples Center memory? Probably when Chick Hearn was alive um, and the Lakers, I think we had beat Portland Trailblazers in that game. Uh, I think it was game seven. We had beat them. And me and my homeboys, we just went in the locker room. We just busted in the locker room. And we seen Chick Hearn, Jim Hill, 
and all the Lakers, and we just went in there and just was like partying with the Lakers. It was crazy. It made the news, too, because we just didn't care. We just broke all the rules. We just was like so happy, and Phil Jackson looked at us like, man, if y'all don't get out of here, we was like, we don't care. We in here, man. Kick us out. <laughs> I think they'd let you back in now. <laughs> yeah, but back then, but back then that was different, though. We came with a real vigilante. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so Snoop, while we're while we're talking about basketball, I mean everybody kind of has that comparison. And actually, I remember with TNT being in your studio and us comparing wow. ourselves. Like if I was a rapper, if I played the way that I, you know, rap the way that I played. So now I'm gonna put you on the spot. If you're you're a rapper, who do you see as your kind of counterpart in basketball? Like who do you see yourself as? Well, it's two different eras. The the first era, I see myself as as George Gervin, as Iceman. Mm. Because Iceman and myself, I played just like Iceman as a kid. I had an infamous finger roll. I had long arms. I would penetrate. I would dunk. I would do all the things that he would do. And I would, you know, try to resemble him. I even had his poster in my room with him sitting on all that ice. And that just was one of the most flyest posters ever made. And then as an adult, I feel like, Kevin Garnett and my game was the same. <laughs> yeah. For real. Because I play like the big ticket in the paint. I take what you give me in the paint, but I'm real aggressive. I get in your face. I'm going to stick the biggest one on the other team. I'm, I'm the smallest one, but I'm going to stick, stick the biggest one and I'm going to talk the most. But I'm going to back it up. <laughs> I think, though, that's what's been so much fun in these last couple of weeks. So many of us basketball fans have gotten to relive some of those memories as the last dance Michael Jordan and Chicago Bulls documentary has continued to, to, to air. I would imagine you've been watching, and one of my favorite parts about the documentary is hearing so many, not just in and around the game of basketball, but in the entertainment industry as well, Bring to mind or recall some of their favorite memories from those days and with that team. Is there any chance that you have a Michael Jordan, perhaps Dennis Rodman, Scottie Pippen story from back in those days? Actually, I have zero stories. I'm Lakers. <laughs> really? They okay. beat us in their first championship. They beat us and when we was old. We gave them the respect, and they went on a mission and went on a tear, and we couldn't do nothing but bow down gracefully. So I have no stories because I don't mix with the enemy. Um, There's Lakers, and that's what it is. Now, as they left the basketball court, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, they became friends of mine, you know what I'm saying? Because I love the way they play, and I love the way they was like the, the, the two to the one, how I was with Dr. Dre. How Dre was the one, how Jordan was the one. But they was the two. You understand me? So that's why I basically got a relationship with them. I, I didn't even try to. It just happened. I feel like Scotty and Dennis Rodman like, are real good friends of mine, even though I didn't like them on the basketball court. <laughs> but I love them off the court because they're real friends, and I love how they provided that, that two to Michael Jordan's one, just like I did for Dre's one. See, though, I can appreciate that because we don't really see that often anymore. Where it's like, I am a diehard fan of this team. Thus, you and I will not be friends until this is over. You just don't see it anymore. No, nah, because that's that's the era that we come from. And it wasn't that it was bad. It just made you, you know, love and respect your teammates and love your organization more. And to me, that bred better basketball players and it bred better competition. When you watch... Like right now, we're forced to watch old games. We're watching games from the 2000s, games from the 90s. And then when them games from the 80s come on, they're a little bit different than the ones from right now. Like you see five or six fights, nobody get thrown out. <laughs> you see aggression, no whistles getting blown. You watching basketball. Like you understand me the way it was created. I think Isaiah Thomas said it said it best in this last interview that he had. Like everybody mistakes them that they didn't shake hands, but... Boston Celtics, they didn't shake hands either. And so obviously we're in a different era. Who as a young talent in the NBA do you look to as the next coming that's going to be a mega superstar in the next few years? Oh, man. It's either uh, the boy out of Milwaukee, Giannis. Mm. He different. Even on the video game. <laughs> on the video game, he unbelievable. He's like one of the characters that you can't even stop. So if they making him like that on the video game, I can imagine how he like on the on the real court. I think he's the most poised for it because he didn't already went up against the big dogs. He didn't already lost. And he, that's his team. He ain't going nowhere. And when you got your team and you got a 
build with the pieces that you got and you becoming a superstar, you the MVP, and you look like you're about to be the MVP again this year, and you play great defense, and you got a three-point shot, and you lovable, and you great off the court, and you 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 fun to be around. You're not a disaster. You're not a, a court caser. You're not nothing that speaks negative to your upbringing, and that's beautiful. That sets you up to become the face of the NBA. Well, Snoop, uh, Kristen and I, we were talking before the show and we're trying to figure out a game because, you know, all of us are kind of missing sports and we're looking for any type of competition or anything to to bring that sort of emotion forward. So we thought about it and we said we would like you to list an all rapper starting five at basketball. So who do you think is top five in the rap game that you're picking at the park first on your squad? First round, first draft pick for the rapper, hip hop, all pro team, 6'4, 175, Eastside LBC's finest, running the PG and small forward. So we'll say he's the small guard. Snoop D O double G. <laughs> Got to be the first pick. I like that. Got to Obviously. be the first pick. <laughs> Got to, I mean, I got to get that out the way right now. Let's quit playing. Get that out the way right now. Now, let me get my other phone. Let me get mother folk. Now, let me see. Now, shockingly, shockingly, I'm going to take this guy to be my point guard. I mean, my, my, my other guard, Little Dicky. Little Dicky. He got oh, a show wow. uh, on FX called Dave. Little Dicky, go, go. I'm taking Little Dicky. You better know. Wow. Then okay. I got to do it. I, I saw his ball it. brother skit. It was hilarious. But I, anyway. I got to do it. <laughs> then I'm going to slide on over to the R&B world because R&B is rap and rap is R&B. I'm going to put Chris Brown at the three. Yeah, he's he legit. Play. I've I'm, seen him play. He can play. Oh, my God. He, he, oh, boy, he go, go. Then I'm going to keep it West Coast and I'm going to go get game because I'm going to need some physicality and some, you know, somebody to be real aggressive and scare a few people off the other team. So I'm going to go get game. His game is going to bring all that. He's Dennis Rodman. He's Oakley. He's all of that. You know, I need that. The enforcer. I got to have that. Then I'm going to go. Let me see. I got to go. I got to go big. Who was give? Oh, I got to go get two chains. I got to go get two chains. Yes. That's a good I got to grab two chains. I got to grab two chains. Because he's a big body. He's 6'5". He played good in the paint. He got a three-point shot. He's strong. And he understands basketball. He played basketball, I think, in high school and college. So I got to take him. My last pick. Yeah, my last pick. I got one more pick. Mm, mm, mm. This is going to be crucial because it's going to break a lot of hearts when I don't pick somebody that thought they should have been on the team. <laughs> but that's just how it goes. I got to get Quavo because Quavo. That's what he, I was. He's, okay. He's, I was going to say Quavo the, or J. Cole. He's the, he's, Quavo is the new sensation. I love the way he ball. I love the way he really, really ball. And he's a team-orientated player. He know how to distribute the ball. He know how to score when he have to. And he play defense. And he got young lungs. So we're going to need somebody to stick the best person on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Kristen, some notable um, people that he's left off. We, You said Justin Bieber. First of all, I didn't say – I just said if you're going to bring somebody off the bench right, – Right, right. Yeah. He can come off the bench. JB can come off the bench. And we're allowing a 10-day contract for J. Cole. Definitely. So if you would like to sign him – J. Cole, he can, he can sub with me. J. Cole can sub with me because I'm old. I'm about to be 50, so I need somebody to sub with me every four minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to say it, but I think that that team could beat perhaps several of the NBA teams currently. <laughs> well, we want that. Set that up. We want that. Set that up. We want that. You know rappers want that. We need that. <laughs> we may have to another 30 60 days of this i think we could probably get some people to go for it <laughs> we need that snoop thank you so much for taking the time to join us we Man, so i love y'all you. anytime any day any day send my love to the family y'all stay safe and keep this sisterly love going on i love this thank Appreciate you it, snoop. Goodness. thank you thank you Also this week, Aaron Gordon, who has a dog named Magic, and I have a cat named Magic, did drop a diss track for one of our teammates. Not for you, Candace, because you gave him a 10. I gave him a 10. But he dropped a diss track specifically aimed at Dwayne Wade, even though Dwayne was one of three who gave him a nine, called nine out of 10. Have you listened to the track? Have I listened to the track? <laughs> I think as soon as it dropped... My inbox blew up, first of all. It was hilarious. The, the whole point of a dunk contest, 
and it being epic is the controversy and a great song rap song came out of this thought it was hilarious when he was talking about i lost a millie which people don't understand like yeah it's all fun and games but he lost some money that night and the second time around because it's a second done contest that's been and then for Dwayne to respond like here's some free advice since i lost you a million dollars goodness Dwayne! <laughs> shout out to wade <laughs> sellers Shout out to Wade yeah. Wine. That's right. I did like that that Aaron was at least sipping the Dwayne Wade wine. That was the best music video where he had like his chains on. I loved it. I'm not going to lie. It's funny because I'm sure that you have gotten at least as many, if not more questions about that night because we were all right there. You know, as part of TNT's All-Star Saturday Night, we're all right there witnessing this thing firsthand. I have gotten more questions about that one night than perhaps anything else ever. Like, why did that happen? How did that happen? I just, there's been so much talk about it, especially now since people only can reflect on past sporting events. Can we talk about? (laughs) There's nothing else we can talk about. But uh, at the same time, I mean, Derek Jones performed well. Like, let's not act like he just won, you know, and he didn't win it. You know, he didn't do anything fantastic. I obviously thought Aaron Gordon should have won. But at the same time, still got to give... Derek is props. I mean, they put on a show. It was an incredible show, especially being back in Chicago, one of the iconic dunk contests. In my mind, though, I'm thinking any second now, I'm going to talk to Aaron Gordon winning his first dunk contest. And in the last second, I'm being told in my ear, whatever you ask, don't make it sound like he wasn't supposed to win. (laughs) So it's like, well, I think no matter what, we're not going to be able to avoid this controversy. I mean, Aaron Gordon got eight. I mean, he says this in his songs. He got eight perfects. D Wade had to convince him to not take off his shoes. Cause he, he was like, what more can I do? I've shown everybody everything. I should have won. I've gotten a perfect, uh, but it was one of those dunk contests that will go down in history. And I mean, very few people remember the first pick in Michael Jordan's draft, right? Right off the bat. Well, I think they remember less the second pick. No, but you're right. Above yeah, Michael. Let's, uh, yeah. Because Akeem still went on to <laughs> have, a, right. have a pretty but incredible... When, I say, when you say that, though, people remember Michael Jordan. It's and true. Don't, and they know Hakeem Olajuwon, but as great as he is... So that was kind of my point, but I guess it didn't end well. <laughs> like, Derek Jones was phenomenal. Yes. But Aaron Gordon did some things we'd never seen before. That was Aaron will be what we remember. Yeah. He should come back. He should do it one more time. He's not. Well, perhaps another Dwayne Wade diss track dropping any day now if this quarantine continues much longer. We've got Gabrielle Union on the phone. Gabrielle Union. Gabrielle Union. It's Gabrielle Union. Gabrielle Union, thank you so much for taking the time. You have a lot of titles, but I think that perhaps Quarantine Master may be one of them. You, <laughs> quite easily keeping us more entertained than I think most of us are being in our own homes in these days. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, I, I'd like to think I have mastered the art of, of boredom. Um, <laughs> yeah. I spend a lot of time by myself. So I, I understand. I think, though, that we would have named you quarantine winner if you did not have Shady Baby, who is quite easily winning the Internet these days. Yes. Yes. We're all it's all a distant second in this house because Kav is, um, man, she's outside right now. We had to do a, a bartering system with her. She was she was going into full on meltdown. And uh, Dee was like, what about some TikTok? What about some TikTok? And she's like, okay. Yeah, TikTok and uh, Usher ABCs are, are all we have left to, to bargain with. Oh my goodness. Well, we all enjoy watching you guys. Obviously, you guys are very active on social media and and you're and you're hilarious as a family just in terms of the way that you present and post pictures. We were talking the other night about Dee posting pictures and he's saying how you do the captions. 
And how do you come up with this stuff? Because this is something that we've talked about because the captions yes. are just exactly what I feel like she would be saying. It's a combo of what her face, you know, and her body language are sort of dictating. Um, but it's like the things we actually want to say to people um, in real life that if she, you know, knew how to speak uh, English, um, I feel like she would say based on her facial expressions, but also the things I want to say to people. I just put That's them in the mouth. Yes. Of um, <laughs> but yeah, I get, I let me do it exactly one time. Um, very early on and he did a tribute post to himself and uh she wasn't even a part of it it was a picture of him uh with his stat line uh if you go back i I left it up there just so i could prove to people that this is how it started um like he had a good game or whatever and he was like uh congratulations daddy um for such a great game. <laughs> oh and it was like the, the caption was like, you know, like a, like a, like a Miami heat <laughs> reporter wrote it. I was like, yeah, this is, this is it. That's it. And that's the first and last time. Her expression at his Jersey retirement, when you guys were raising the Jersey up and she was walking in front of Pat Riley, like it was just like, Oh, what's up? Everybody's here to see me. And like, we got to go to this little Jersey retirement for my dad. <laughs> Yeah, she has no concept. Like now, like she'll, you know, if if D comes up on like the feed and we're like looking at our phones or he's on television, she'll go, Dada. But that's about it. Like, and it's not written, like nothing is, has to do with him playing basketball. It's, you know, him in other settings. Um, I don't know if she really gets the sports of it all, the basketball of it all. She doesn't really care. She's like a guy with a TikTok (laughs) on the phone. you come back. But what was funny, and you know, because I'm a demon, um, she had like she had been kind of standing in the aisle because Udonis, who's her godfather, was had a seat on the aisle, um, and I was sort of on the aisle, and behind uh, UD was Andre Iguodala, and it was funny because she was like, you know, kind of standing in front of Udonis, but looking at. Um, at uh, Iguodala and then goes on this walk in front of Pat. And in my head, I was like, does she know that older players are getting, you know, two years, 30 million? She's going to renegotiate as we speak. And so I was dying and I wanted to put that caption so bad. And he was like, do not do that. I I mean, the itchy Twitter fingers were going, um, but I, I did that. So I'm just telling you guys, like you know, so you can share it. Ultimately, yeah, just us, nobody else. Nobody well, else. So quite honestly, us being a podcast powered by the NBA on TNT, most of our guests are athletes, uh, and we ask them in these days, especially how are you staying in shape? I have the same question, but for you, because I'm seeing these photos of you outside in the swim, and I just need you to please drop some knowledge. <laughs> Well, A, I got to give it up because Zaya, um, you know, she's always had an interest in photography and um, is doing wonders with her iPhone. Uh, So she actually took those pictures of us and figured out the composition and and wanted to wait until exactly Mm -hmm. 714 in the evening to make sure we got, like, you know, all of that. But um but was very careful and was like, don't, don't lean back too far, honey. Cause you're, you're, you're showing all the, all the secrets are coming out. I'm like, Oh, okay. Okay. So she was very careful for my positioning. So it was most flattering, but uh, you know, I don't know if you guys saw oh, the, the, the new. <laughs> so we, I, I let D be my um, guest trainer for me and my little sister for uh, fit on, which is a, a fitness app that I'm a part of. And, uh, and so we, we posted um, our workouts yesterday and uh, he is pure comedy. And I, I get it. I too wanted to pull a Rondo um, and, and ask some questions about practice. Uh, yeah. Cause there were, I just somewhere I, I felt like Mario Chalmers, deserves an even bigger apology than, than anything I could have ever <laughs> thought of until he was coaching me and my little sister in this workout. That, that, <laughs> that was going to be the next question that I asked. Cause you know, togetherness is great. It's fantastic. Um, but this is like a lot of family togetherness and 
you know, obviously being on set, I know we like to keep it light. We laugh, we joke. We're jokers. That's what we do. We, we like making fun of each other. How is that going at home? Because, you know, are the jokes getting more serious with doing like, how, how are you guys handling dinner time? Like, what's that like? Um, you know, <laughs> uh, I'm glad you guys can't see my face right now. It's, um, it's a, it's an ongoing challenge for everyone to find their alone time and their quiet space. And sometimes one person's quiet space may be in the same vicinity as another person's turn up Tuesday, um, which has been a, a challenge more recently. And the urge to smother him um, in his sleep has been a reoccurring dream I've had. Um, and the rage that builds when he's snoring is lar- it's just, it's a, it's a heavier <laughs> thing on my spirit. Um, yeah, we're, we're at that point where we, we have to, we can see it in each other's eyes and it's like, Ooh, okay. Oh, I've done too much. I've gone too far. Um, and then we just sort of prove ourselves and give each other the time and, you know, the space to, to go into your little corner and pull your life together and, you know, have your time, have a cocktail or five and or just two or three you know, yeah, or six. Yeah. We wouldn't survive apartment living right now. Like one of us wouldn't make it out of the cage match. <laughs> and I'm betting which one would. I'm thinking I know. We know the answer to that question. I feel, Candace, like we've waited long enough to bring up Love and Basketball. Gabby, it's one of both Candace and my favorite movies of all time. You know, a little bit of the villain. It's kind of odd to have a movie where, like, Gabrielle Union and Tyra Banks are the, the ones you're rooting against. I didn't know Nike made dresses. That was, like, my line. Was, that was my line. Yep. Gabby, like on set and filming this movie, know that it would have such a cult impact, not just, you know, in popular culture, but on the landscape of sports as well. I'm, no, I mean, at A, I was a very tiny little piece of, of uh, an amazing puzzle. Um, so, no, for me, it was like it was a job. Somebody wanted me back. Perfect. Um, it was a it was a an interesting journey, though. You know, I played sports my whole life, you know, point guard since the time I, I had a basketball in my hand and I auditioned for Sanaa's role, but like I sucked. So great basketball, terrible actor. Um, and um, Gina Prince Blythewood, the director was like, I don't think this is right for you, but I do think there's a part that you could be um, perfect for. I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm thinking like maybe teammate, um, you know, something along those lines. And she was like, here, I'm going to give you the size and go out in the, in the lobby, just take a look at it and then come back in when you're ready. And I go in the lobby and, you know, cause I'm still dressed in, you know, I, I think I had some, um, Michigan, like super oversized, like my prize Michigan, you know, oversized shorts, um, owed to you know, Jimmy King, um, the, the uh, forgotten hero of the fab five, um, just ready, you know, like I was in it. I was ready to be, you know, Monica. And then she was like, no, how about the hoe? And I was like, wait, huh? Um, <laughs> have you seen my crossover? Hold on. And so I'm reading it in the lobby and I'm like, wait, I'm, I'm like the groupie. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell? Um, but I, I went back in and apparently I was, uh, you know, pretty, pretty solid at it. And the next thing you know, I'm on set. Um, in this tiny little trailer, uh, sharing like this trailer with uh, Boris Kojo, who played um, Sanaa's yeah. date um, to the to the big band, and, uh, and because they're yeah, all, <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it could have been louder. Um, but we did, like we didn't we didn't know that Sanaa and Omar were a couple in real life. So we're and we're both novice you know, actors, me and Boris. So we don't realize that A, they're a couple and B, they're like super method. So they're not really speaking to us like at all. Like Omar might say one word every so often. Sanaa might say one word to Boris every so often, but Sanaa's for sure not talking to me and Omar's for sure not talking to Boris. And um, we were like the forgotten folks and we were just in our trailers for hours and hours and hours. And so, um, yeah, like all those moments where we seem like apprehensive or we don't really kind of know what's going on. We're like the clueless people as they're like making these like iconic, you know, looks across the gym. We have no clue what's going on. We're just trying to make sure we don't get fired. <laughs> I think a lot of people knew, though, that you played, but maybe 
at least I don't know, did you cheer as well? Because you're also known for a pretty iconic role as a cheerleader. Yeah, I cheered in the eighth grade when all you had to be was popular. Um, it, it wasn't about like ability. Um, I think I TP'd the right person's house like the week before tryouts and being I'm a cheerleader. Um, so I didn't have to, you know, know how to do anything beyond, you know, U-G-L-Y, you ain't got no alibi. Um, so when I, when, you know, I get cast to play this, this, uh, this cheerleader, a, the movie I, the cheerleading movie I wanted, which I thought was going to be the iconic cheerleading movie was this movie called sugar and spice about some bank robbing cheerleaders. Uh, don't remember it. Exactly. Um, so when I, when I get this, when I get this job again, it's just a job. The people that wanted me back, I had no idea that this was going to be, you know, the, the iconic movie that it became. Um, and then we went into three weeks of intense cheerleading rehearsal. And we had to learn all this, all this, uh, like for real, for real cheerleading stuff. And I was like, Oh yeah. Um, Mm, mm, mm. I don't it's know. been a while since grade. <laughs> and I'm older, so like these these were kids. I'm, you know, like Kirsten was like her mom had to still be there. Like she was an actual child, and I'm like, where are your parents? Because that's who I'm going to drink with when this is over. Um, goodness, my back hurt. I smelled like like icy hot. <laughs> Speaking of drinking, your book. We're going to need more wine. Um, I myself have read, love it. Because I, I think it's because I read it in your voice when I'm reading the book. I mean, I know you, you know, you have a book on tape, but I, I like to read. And so I was reading it in the voice in which I know you would say things. You, this voice is, I mean, obviously the book is very funny, but it's very candid about a lot of things. And, um, you know, you talk about a lot of topics that a lot of people wouldn't address, but in a Gabby way that you make it funny, but it's still serious in the same way. So how much fun did you have writing this book? It seemed like it was you know, something you were extremely passionate about. Yeah. I mean, like parts of it were really fun. Like, you know, trying to remember, you know, these adventures that I've had over, you know, the years um, was really fun and calling my old friends from high school. And you know, I'm like, is this, am I remembering this correctly? No, no, no. Okay. Yeah. Um, but then there were certain things you're like, I think this is funny, but also like kind of poignant. I wonder what the world will do with this. You know what I mean? It's not every day where, you know, somebody admits that in order to treat a a certain um, feminine project, you know, uh, challenge, um, I I went and got yogurt and, you know, try to figure out how to get like, you know, yogurt from a a jar into like your orifices. I mean, that's funny, but do I want to talk about that on Good Morning America with my yeah, mother that's watching? That's what they're going to bring up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, you know. So some of it was fun and some of it was scary and some of it was just like therapy. Um, and then on the book tour, when I realized that a lot of the stories that I shared from the silly to the serious, so many people have, have been experiencing and feeling very alone and very isolated. And, and the book gave, gave a lot of people a sense of community. So, um, yeah, it's one of the things I'm most, I'm most proud of. Well, because we don't have any live games to cover right now, we've been playing games with each of our guests and we have come up with a game for you as well. So this is a game called Googling Gabby fact or fiction. Okay. Okay. We know that we can't believe everything we read on the internet. So Gabby, we want you to set it straight. You can let us know if these are facts we found on the internet about you or if it's fiction. Number one, you are fluent in Spanish. Uh, Fiction. I wouldn't say fluent. I I took Spanish for seven years. Still pretty impressive. I mean, if we went, oh gosh, (laughs) we went to Mexico and you had to order something for the table, could you do it? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're no, I, can, I can do that. I can talk somebody out. I can sigh. I you know, I the old meals and I was like, yeah, I said I mean I can I can speak, I can read it. Um but depending on where I'm at, uh it was harder for me in, in uh Miami because uh it's more of a Caribbean Spanish that's so faster and more sing songy, so it's, it was a little bit more of a challenge, but I for sure understand. <laughs> like when people think they're talking smack in Spanish, I'm like in all right. Number two, you dated Jason Kidd in high school. 
in high school and really after <laughs> um, like a hundred years later. Yeah. When we were both divorced, um, I, we, we ran into each other and it was kind of like, you know, who was there before everything? And it was like, you were, um, and I, I, I hadn't, like, I had temporary amnesia because I forgot that he broke oh. up with me right before junior prom. Um, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we, we dated in high school and then briefly as adults. All right. Number three, your first acting gig was a 1-800-DENTIST commercial. That is fact. Re- oh, all right. Do you remember anything about the role? Oh, okay. I remember I had a wedding dress on. And uh, I had to like turn around slowly and smile um, very cheesy, like give you all my teeth. Um, you know, 1-800-Dennis. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Still selling it. I know I'm about to digress from, from this and I'll go back to the question number four in a second. But I remember the first time I saw you on television was the seventh heaven. You guys were, <laughs> you were on Seventh Heaven. Yes. Like that was, yes. yes. So Seventh yes. Heaven was like, we were the show, black family. You guys were the other, yeah. You guys were the other black family. On <laughs> yes. We were the black woman. Remember when, when our church was burned down in a hate crime? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yo, you played the hell out of that role. Just FYI. And Ola Ray yep. from the Thriller video. She was the female lead of the Thriller video. Played my mom. Wow. That's. Yeah. I do like I'm telling you, if you go back and look at seventh heaven, you will see like so many actresses and actors that came through that are young that you're like, wait a second, you were on seventh heaven. I loved the show though, because Jessica Beale's character, I was very fond of because she was like a basketball player, but also very pretty. You didn't see kind of, it was typically a mutually exclusive that either you were athletic or pretty. And I loved her and that show for that reason. Sorry, I digressed. I had to, I had to bring up seventh heaven. Okay, number four. You played college soccer at the University of Nebraska. Back, back before it was a varsity sport, when they were still suing to get uh, parity for all the varsity sports that the men's were the men's were offered. Um, and then the next year, it went. It became a varsity sport. I did not. Did you know that, I Candace? Didn't I shook my head? No. Like, wow. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Wow. We should play this game much more often. We're learning something new. All right, number five. (laughs) Your favorite musical act of all time is a new edition. Yeah, fact. I I had a feeling on that one. I've seen several pieces of evidence. (laughs) Number six, the famous flip cup game at the University of Nebraska's tailgate last year (laughs) was really D-Wade's first time ever playing flip cup. Please tell me that this is not true. Um, well, yes, that's fact. Uh, he, he didn't drink. Well, a, you guys have, you, you forget he was a teen mom. You know how they have teen mom. Oh, gee. Yeah, he was true. like original, like teen parent. So, and he didn't drink, um, until kind of relatively recently. So all of the high school games that you'd play like quarters and, and, um, flip cup and beer pong, like Chris Bosch taught him how to play like beer pong, like <laughs> flip cup he learned at tailgate. Like he never did like the um, shot skis. So he like for him, like every year when we go back to, um, you know, uh, usually the home opener uh, at Memorial Stadium, D is like, what else am I going to learn? And I'm like, come here, kid, I'll, I'll show you the room. <laughs> I love that because it is, yeah. it is like Benjamin. I, I tell people because my 20s, I didn't party at all and so i'm like benjamin button with partying like i'm going you know the other way and now i'm partying harder than i did in my (laughs) 20s and my 30s so i feel like d's the same way like he's learning new things you know he's he's being shown by by the best oh no he was like the like the he was like the dare program when we started you know dating and it became this joke yeah (laughs) he would have a two drink he would give me a two drink max um and it be, I mean, obviously, I never adhered to that. But that was um, he was like the forever designated driver. He was just very, he wrote my friends, my best girlfriends, a strongly worded email that we read once a year. Um, we do a, 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 an interpretation of um, his strongly worded email about how they're bad friends because they let me drink too much. And now look at him. He's doing wine down Wednesdays. <laughs> exactly. 
And it's more than a two drink max. Way more than a two drink max. Proud of him. Wow. You know what this game has taught us is actually that we should believe everything that we read on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Every single bit of it was true. Who knew? (laughs) Yeah, I wish I was fluent in Spanish, though. That's the only thing. Oh, yeah. I've got to work on it. Almost. Gabrielle Union, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. I know that you may not have had actually anything else to do, which is why you took the time. However, we're still very grateful. (laughs) No, I am so happy to be here and, um, you know, hanging out with you two ladies and anytime you need me, because, you know, I don't have anything else to do. Um, (laughs) Thank you, Gab. I appreciate it. No problem. I'll see you guys. Thanks. Bye. What's good? What's good? <laughs> What's good? Every week, we've been finishing these shows with what we call What's Good, where Candace and I introduce you all, the listeners, the viewers, to something that's made us laugh or smile this week. And this week, our What's Good is our former teammate now the VP of Basketball Operations for the New Orleans Pelicans, Swin Cash. Swin Cash, the veteran, has so many titles. Four-time All-Star, two-time All-Star MVP, three championships. Two-time Olympian. Just the consummate leader. I miss (laughs) y'all. Man, we miss you. When I say that title, Candace, doesn't it feel like, okay, going from like our coworker to that, wow, that's a big, important job, Swin. I feel important knowing her. I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like just important to be like, she put us on her schedule. Yeah. Yeah. She's no, I'm happy you, you found time for me in your schedule. I mean, I know how popular it is. You guys are. So I appreciate it. Thank you. I'm sure Griff probably sent the note and was like, put her on, put her on, put her on. (laughs) Since he's been poaching all of our former teammates, right? Yes, yes. (laughs) I think first and foremost, Swin, how are you? How's your family? How have these days been for you all? You know, um, it's been interesting. I think we're all learning how to navigate, um, how to figure out balancing work, family, life, all those different things. And I've just kind of been taking it day to day. Um, You know, I had a situation today where I was on a Zoom call and for some reason, Saint decided he wanted to do number two in his pants instead of the pot. And so I had to kind of put up the, I'll be back peace. (laughs) This gives me life. This is everything. And literally when I got back, I'm like dragging him up the steps and I have the computer in my hand. And once like the, like the draft, uh, the draft prospect gets off, I'm talking to our guys and they're like, what, what are you doing? And so I'm in a bathroom and I'm like, no, I'm not on a toilet. I turn it this way. I'm like, my kid just, shit. excuse my language. <laughs> like I'm doing two, th- I'm doing two things at once. Okay. <laughs> I think, I think that got me more props and respect from my team today. So, <laughs> so how are you guys keeping in contact with the players, with the coaches? I mean, how are things being run remote? Yeah, I mean, same as which we're doing right here. Everything is Zoom calls, uh, WebEx. I think we were in front of it right away. Uh, I think Griff just kind of pulled us together and it was like, all right, if this is going to be something that's going to last months down the road, let's put a strategy in place. Let's put a strategy in place for our staff, for the players, for their families. And so we implemented stuff right away. So we have once a week, we have Zoom calls for our family, for the players, where they get updates from our medical staff on what's happening, um, not only around the country, but also here in New Orleans. So they are on top of the virus. Then we also have our weekly calls. Like we're in draft prep right now. We don't know when the draft's possibly going to be, but you just want to be prepared and be in front of it. For those who knew you as a WNBA star, as an Olympian, and are being introduced for the first time in your role with the New Orleans Pelicans, it has been less than a year. I read you recently describe it as it being less about basketball and more about life. How do you describe the role you've been hired to do there? Yeah, so I try to bring some of my perspective of not only as a player, what I used to always say, and Candace, you you know this, you always say, man, I wish they would do it this way, or I would want this as a player. And so I just come in with that perspective of, okay, let me put myself in a player's position. Now let me put myself, you know, in the front office position. And how do those two things merge together? So I kind of look at myself as a hybrid, making sure that we're creating an ecosystem where we're driving culture um, and we're taking and 
putting best, best practices in place. So we know that we have, you know, Trajan Langdon, Griff, um, Bryson, uh, Graham, everybody's focused on getting the best talent, the best people to fit together. But I don't think it's all just about talent. You don't win championships just with the talent you have. You have to have that supporting staff. You have to have everybody buying into the same thing. So that's what we're really focused on here. Well, but see, Candace, maybe, maybe it's a good thing then that her child used the bathroom <laughs> on a Zoom call because it's like, oh, wow. So she does it all. <laughs> she does it all. And then right when you said that, my child brought me coffee. So <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm telling you, they get older, you get older and they can, you know, do other things. They do things for you. It works. It works out for you. (laughs) But Swin, you know, we know entering into this, this field, a lot of the conversation was going to be about because you are a woman and because you're an African-American, those questions are kind of going to be the the center of the conversation. And obviously being in television and things like that, you faced that in the past. Now coming into it, you've said, I might be the first, but I don't want to be the last. So what can you say about your experience working with the Pelicans and how you're opening doors for other women of color to be able to do the same thing you're doing? Yeah, I think one of the things is to first acknowledge the space that you're in. A lot of times people are like, well, I don't want them to only say, "Ah, you know, she's there. She's a woman. Like, I don't need to be identified. People can look at me and they can see I'm a woman. They can see I'm African-American. So once we get past that elephant in the room, let's have discussions. Let's talk ball. Let's talk strategy because you bring something different to the table. And that's okay. Um, I say it all the time. And I'll just give you an example. If we're talking to a draft prospect and, and we're doing an interview, you know, we may have five or six people on the call. Well, my, my opinion or what I think of that player may be different from someone else. Not being afraid to speak up in those spaces are important because at the end of the day, we want the best, best minds in the room. And you can't have the best minds in the room if it's only just men. It just doesn't work that way. And so I think it's better for business when you have a diverse group at the table. And I think that's what we're pushing here. And I think Griff's done an amazing job of saying, I not only want to bring the best talented people here, I want to bring people that are cultural drivers, but I want to bring diversity of thought. And that's the biggest thing that I love about being here is we have diversity of thought in, in every call, in every room, and we make sure that we push that every day. Preach. <laughs> Please continue preaching how important that no, is. For sure, for sure. And, you, you know, Candace, we, even being a player and being as part of, like, CBA negotiations and stuff like that, you've got to have diversity of thought in the room so you can represent everybody. It's just important for business. And as this franchise is navigating a post-Anthony Davis era, you have, I mean, one of the biggest names already in the game having played, what, is it less than 20 games in Zion Williamson? But I've read Zion's comments about you and your relationship. Will you tell me a little bit more about how that's grown? Yeah, you know, I just really came in with the mindset that I was already impressed by him just being a young player. I covered him in college. We watched him play. Um, But his unit, his family that was around him, it's really important to him. And what you see is what you get. I mean, the kid's great in front of the TV. Um, He's great doing interviews. But at the same time, when no one has a camera in his face, like he cares about the people around him and he just oozes with that competitiveness to want to be great not only on the court but off the court so I just talked to him like I talked to all the other rooks and so he thought it was really funny him Nikhil Jackson uh, they thought it was so funny when they first got here they were pretty much just taking over I felt like New Orleans like I go on my Instagram they're at a you know Louisiana Tech game or you know down at LSU I'm like where are y'all? But, you know, the thing is, is that you have to understand building that relationship with them comes with not only playing the game and knowing the game, but talking to them like human beings, you know? And I think that's, that was my approach is just to approach them as, Hey, I want to help you be better on the court, off the court, whatever you need from me, but I'm not going to be the person that's here rah, rah every day. Like I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to hear because that's going to make you better. And leadership you know, comes in being able to relate to the person that you're trying to follow and, and, and trying to be like, and I know you've won at different levels in your career at every level in your career. Uh, you talk about Detroit winning championships there and the culture that was built there. You talk about Seattle culture being there. What are you trying to bring to the table in new Orleans? That's going to set the standard for having a winning organization because so much is underestimated 
how much culture matters <laughs> when you're trying to win a championship. I think part of my job and I think all of our job in the front office and the supporting staff for these players, for their families, is for every single guy to understand the role that he plays in that bigger puzzle. And so as a player, you always want to feel value. It doesn't matter if you're playing five minutes, 35 minutes, 40 minutes. It doesn't matter. You want to feel valued. And so we take the approach that every single player is going to have the ability to feel valued and important uh, and letting them know what their role is in this bigger kind of ecosystem. I think the Pelicans have been at a lot of the forefront of the conversation when we talk about how the NBA could potentially return this season. I know that you probably don't have any more answers than we do, but for a team that's sitting just outside of a playoff picture, what would you like to see if we do see the season return? Would you like to see your team continue to compete for a chance to continue playing? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it. you think you always think about what could have been right. We were in a rhythm. We were rolling. We we're feeling good. Our guys were locked in. Um, but we want our we want the league and the players to be safe. That's for, first and foremost. We want that to happen. And then the second part of that is absolutely. I mean, who doesn't want an opportunity to try to get into the playoffs and see what could happen? And, and then I also want it for JJ. I think we started out the year and he's had consecutive, I mean, seasons of being in the playoffs. You know, he threw Z under the bus and put pressure on him early but nobody thought that you know freaking quarantine was gonna happen but at the same time you just want to see guys reach their maximum potential I mean Brandon being an all-star this year Zoe actually you know coming out of you know his groove and coming out healthy and so I think that's the biggest thing for us is just if we get the opportunity to play we want to play and I know there's names on your roster um that get pushed to the front. You know, obviously everybody knows Zion Williamson. I'm really excited about Jackson. I mean, he, to me, the, the, the sky is the limit for him, his athleticism, his ability to fit in. It looks like he's, you know, a good guy that wants to work hard and get better. What can you say about his development in this rookie season and, and what you see as his potential? Uh, you know, the, the scary thing about Jackson, Candace, is he doesn't know what he doesn't know. Like, he does stuff sometimes in practice, and I have to catch myself, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> because you want to you want him to keep getting better. Um, but, the, I mean, the sky is the limit, like you said. The biggest thing for Jackson is at his size, the way he runs the floor, the way he can just – his athleticism is off the charts. But then you take that to the next level, and he's saying, well, I want to improve guard – guard wise how do I do that how do I do this and that's when our PD coaches come into play and I think they've done an excellent job of saying to him let's get in the gym let's work not only on your body we're going to work on your game if you want to get here this is the work it's going to take to get there and he's willing to to do that so we'll see what happens with him with his progression Um, but the one thing I can say is that some of the highlights some of his best highlights have been in our practices which people (laughs) haven't seen (laughs) If then this season were finished, if this were the last for this season that we were to have already seen from the Pelicans, what do you feel like this season was gained with a lot of younger players? What do you think will be taken into the following season and the seasons to come? I think a season, if our season was to end right now and understanding what we had been through the whole season from Zion's injury, the ups and downs, the losing streak, then going back on a streak, um, Brandon pushing, making all-star. I think going into next year, we have such a young core that they're going to be hungry and humble because they understand what may could have been for this season. So that, that turns you into a person that wants to grind in the summer. That turns you into somebody that wants to get into the gym because you want it back. And the one consistent thing I've heard from all of our players is they just miss ball. Like they're trying to work out and figure out all these different things. But you know, Candace, we've had significant injuries when the game is taken away from you and you can't do anything else but think about it. That's what they're going through right now. So for us, it's making sure they're staying mentally ready, not only physically ready. Well, a lot of what basketball has done in the WNBA and the NBA, it's always been at the forefront of change. It's always been at the forefront of social justice, of, of helping others, of getting into the community. And there's been a lot of good things that the Pelicans have done during this coronavirus. What can you say of how New Orleans is helping or what's good with what New Orleans is doing in the community? You know, what's good with New Orleans right now is that this is a city that has been through 
something like this before. They've been through tragedy, they've been through Katrina, they understand what it looks like to bounce back as a city. And what I'm seeing is just the sports teams, really, the people on the front lines, everybody's just leading together. What can we do? Um, every neighbor's figuring out how can we help. And that means a lot to me to see our guys saying, you know, we'll use our platform for good for the city, for, you know, across the country. And we have some players that have been doing things that they don't want it made public. They just want to do it and do the work. And so for me, um, although we like to have our players out there on the forefront and talking about the things they're doing, it's important that we respect everybody's decision to give and be a service to others the way that they choose. And so that's kind of the foundation that we're laying. And that's what's good in New Orleans is that everybody's stepping up. Yes, we want to get back to playing, but we care about making sure we stay home and everybody stays healthy during this time. Swen, we love you so much. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Anytime, anytime. Appreciate y'all. And we're we're so happy that you can wear sneakers. You don't have to put on heels at home in the Zoom meetings. You can just wear your sneakers and be comfortable. Because you guys know I have PJs on below this. So shout out to the Pelicans. I call it a business business mullet. That's what I call it. (laughs) Business on the top, party on the bottom. Swen, thank you so much. All right. Thanks, ladies. Take care. Kristen, we had quite a show today. I mean, jam-packed. What a show it was. I mean, you know, got Swen, Snoop, Gabby. We covered all all bases. Anything that anyone could want in these days, we at least tried to give it to them. No, we did give it to them. Yeah, we didn't try. <laughs> we gave the people what they want. We delivered. <laughs> Ledlow and Parker consistently delivering. 